0: Michigan and Ohio State took care of business. We're going to have the game featuring 2-11 and O-Squad. Georgia proves what I wanted them to prove, which is that they are dominant. And what is going on at USC? Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, good folks? It's R.J. Young. I am not on a step mill. No. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we got to talk about just what is going down at USC as Lincoln Riley is experiencing a first. We got to talk about what's going down in Boulder, Colorado, as Deion Sanders is also experiencing a first in his head coaching career. Arizona is really good. Georgia is really dominant, but top of mind top of the headlines Ohio State and Michigan next week is set and both of those programs got to 11 and 0. let's start with the first one of those two Michigan coming from well I thought a space of dominance to beat up on a Maryland team that was just six and four but it did not go as fluidly as you would like to see it go now I'm not going to be the person that tells you that somehow Michigan fell into a trap game or Jim Harbaugh not being on the sideline was a bigger deal than it is. I am going to say that in November, particularly as Michigan gets closer and closer to the game, they become this kind of football team where they want to put the onus on the offensive line and on the defense to get stops. And let's be clear, Jesse Minter's defense was playing outstanding football against Maryland. I mean, at halftime, they had held Maryland to negative rush yards, but you can do that when Talia Tagabaloa is running around for his life. Also getting strip sack fumbles, scoring TDs. You're getting two safeties in this game. But I think for most folks, you're looking at this as a Michigan game going, okay, is this team good enough to beat Ohio state? Yeah, probably. Are they good enough to win a national championship? We'll have to wait and see. And because you have these mishaps for this Michigan football team against a program that is not great, but is bowl eligible in Maryland, you have room to question them. Now, there's a lot that went into the lead up to this week's game against Maryland too. Now, first, let's start with the Michigan or yes, Michigan decided that it was going to respect the big 10 suspension of Jim Harbaugh, right? He's going to sit out, not just uh, the last two games, but the game against Ohio state. Nobody wants that including Ohio state fans who would love for that man to be on the sideline because right now he's, you know, two and O in the last two years and they would like to be able to really ruin what is becoming a dream season for Michigan, where They have a head coach that could have coached just six games during the regular season and could absolutely win the national championship. And as I talked about earlier this week, this 2023 Michigan team is a better scoring offense and a better scoring defense than the 1997 national championship team. And with the win against Maryland, 31 to 24, Michigan became the first FBS program to win a thousand games. That's also pretty outstanding because they have a 10-year head start on Rutgers. The first Michigan football game was played against Racine, May 30th, 1879. They won that game. Yes, I am that kind of college football nerd, and this is what I do. I love this stuff. But also, you got to see Blake Corham really coming into his own, especially uh, with a national broadcast, the spotlight, what that dude has been doing for most of his career. He had 28 carries for 94 yards, two TDs. That gave him 51 career rush TDs, which also puts him number one on the all-time rush TD chart. With 51, he's two ahead of Anthony Thomas. Uh, He's nine ahead of Denard Robinson. He is ahead of his running backs coach, Mike Hart, who's got 41. And then Tyrone Wheatley, who was great when I was a kid, had 40. I think you're also talking about a Michigan team that really does like to put on the black hat, even if these wounds are self-imposed. Like we got to see... (laughs) Roman Wilson come out in a free Harbaugh shirt and I'm like, all right, cool. Y'all did this to yourselves, but I, I understand whatever gets you going to beat Maryland, who hasn't beaten the top 10 opponent since 2007 and hasn't beaten the top 10 Big Ten opponent ever as a Big Ten member, right? They're 0-34 now, but this game was, again, it was tight, right? If Talia tonga plays a little bit better, perhaps Maryland can pull this thing out. But I thought that last year when Maryland lost this game 34-27 at the Big House. But also, how were they going to not just deal with Jim Harbaugh and not be on the sideline once again, with Sharon Moore being acting head coach, calling plays for the offense, Jesse Minter, really relying on his dad, Rick Minter, to run the linebacking group because on Friday, Michigan relieved Chris Partridge of his duties, basically in connection with... You were talking about this investigation as it was going on, which also shows that Michigan is really taking this investigation as seriously as we would like them to as neutrals on this thing. But I also thought that they mostly came out of this game unscathed going into it because Roman Wilson took a really tough shot to the head by Dante Trader. I thought it was targeting by the letter of the law. I thought it was targeting. But, you know, the officials saw it the other way. I'm fine with it because I agree with Joel on the broadcast, which is to say, is it an illegal hit? Yes. Do I want to see him kicked out of the game for that hit? Absolutely not. If that's what it had to be, that's what it had to be. Now you also gave Michigan an opportunity to just pull Roman Wilson out of there, make sure nothing else happened to the goods before they got to play the game in Ann Arbor. You also given other guys an opportunity to really distinguish themselves. Like we haven't seen a whole lot of Cornelius Johnson. I think he came into this game with like 26 receptions, getting to see more Colston Loveland, getting to see more Tyler Moore, but also I want to see more J.J. McCarthy, and I got to tell you guys, I, I I don't think they trust that dude to go win them the football games like I thought they did before the start of November. Number one, he didn't really throw the ball against Penn State, because I don't think they want him to throw the ball against Penn State, because he threw the ball against Maryland, and guys, it was not great. 12-23 for 141 with INT, and that INT, most people tell you it's just really, really bad, and it was a game-changing play that could have put Michigan up by even more. Kudos to Maryland and the defense for coming out with it, but we're talking about Michigan not beating Ohio State, although we are. We're talking about Michigan winning a college football playoff game because we know they can beat Ohio State. We know they can win a Big Ten championship game. We don't know that they can win a college football playoff game because they have it. And I think whenever it's in J.J. McCarthy's hands in these big game moments, he hasn't really stepped into the vogue in the way that we want to. Usually when he's beating up on people, the offensive uh, run game is doing really, really well. And this one, again, I expected Blake Quorum to go for a hundred plus and I expected them the rush for 200, but I think they only had about 151 yards on the ground and you really had to lean on the defense to do a lot of work that I'm used to the offense being able to do for Michigan, which also throws into your plans for Michigan kind of a wrench, right? If you can't stay on schedule and if you guys get off rhythm and you fall behind by two scores, can you beat other teams? That's going to be a question that I come back to as we continue to talk about today, but Blake Quorum, again, 11 straight games, with a rush TD, basically going back to the one where he suffered the knee injury against Ohio State. And that's the last time that he really hasn't scored a TD because inside the five-yard line, you give that dude the ball behind that offensive line and they're gonna go do what they do. Michigan also blocked blocked a punt that ended up getting booted out of the back of the end zone. Like I there was 16 to three and I thought the route was on, right? The problem that you have if you are a Michigan fan is the route should have been on. It should have always been on because you're coming up against an Ohio State team that absolutely has found its way right before they got to play you, which is a great way for me to transition from Michigan, defeating Maryland to Ohio state stomping out Minnesota 37 to three. This game was 37 to zero before Minnesota finally got on the board. I mean, Ohio state started slow. They were up just 13 0 at half. And then the avalanche came like we had a sequence that was outstanding. Trey Henderson, at a halftime, 75 yards to the house, longest rush TD of his career, went over 100 yards rushing. I think he had 146 at that point. He's had games this year of 200 yards of scrimmage. He's absolutely a home run hitter, game changer. The next possession for Minnesota, a strip sack that came a turnover. And then, you know, in the middle of all this, I got uh, I got a white hat, a referee, who didn't like Ohio State players celebrating by posing in the end zone because the defense made a play and decided to call out each one of those players by their individual numbers. I would love to know why he didn't just say unsportsmanlike contact the entire defense of Ohio state, but that's not what he wanted to do. He wanted to grandstand in front of a Minnesota fan base is like, we really don't need this. We're down 30 to zero right now, dog. Like I need you to help us out and get out of the way. Meanwhile, Marvin Harrison jr. Finishes off that drive the next play or excuse me, the next play with a, it, He finished off the drive with a TD catch in the end zone. I'm so excited about this guy because, well, I think he's going to win the Heisman Trophy if Ohio State can beat Michigan. But more than anything else, I keep looking at 1-8 going, how is Ryan Day going to get that dude the football? And in this game, it was really trying to get the football to Travion Henderson and then Emeka Abuka and then see what could happen, right? And if you're going to see what could happen stage with Marvin Harrison Jr., he's likely to make you pay for that because you've got to be vigilant with that guy. And if you are not vigilant with him, he's going to cook you. So next week, Marvin Harrison Jr. versus Will Johnson. I will have my eyes on that because Marvin Harrison Jr. ate up Keeley Ringo in a college football playoff semifinal last year. And I think that was the best cornerback that Marvin Harrison Jr. had ever seen. Now, we're also getting into a stage where I'd ask going into this game whether or not the Ohio State offense would finally, finally find its mojo. And it took 10 and a half games to do it. But this second half, that was Ohio State football, as we have come to know it, on the offensive side by Ryan Day. And if they are playing that kind of offensive football, they will beat Michigan. Because what Michigan can't do is combat the home run threats that are Travion Henderson, Emeka Abuka, and Marvin Harrison Jr., and you'll have a guy like Cade Stover just running buck naked open because you have all these other men that you have to be watchful for. So you have to stay on schedule, and you have to finish your drives with TDs. Now, nobody's been better about that than Michigan, and not nothing. It's been really difficult to score on that team too, but we're getting into game number 12 for Ohio State where they have not allowed an opponent to score more than 17 in any game. They are playing outstanding defense, and if they can get the ball back to the offense and they get a hitter like Travion Henderson Henderson some space, you saw what Notre Dame did, right? Notre Dame played great football against Ohio State, and then Travion got loose. I think that is what Michigan needs to be afraid of when they go face this team because you're going to bracket 1-8, right? You're going to try to take away the second option, and you're going to try to stop the run. If you can stop the run, I think you got a shot because I don't see Kyle McCord as the kind of quarterback that could pick apart this Michigan defense they're just too good they're too good and yet and still he's good enough to beat them the same way that J.J. McCarthy has been good enough to beat Ohio State we'll have to wait and see on this but I'm going to be talking about this till I'm blue in the face as I'm going to be in Los Angeles on the Fox Sports lot doing our Wendy's live tailgate with a couple of real professionals and greats Chris Howard at Michigan Beanie Wells at Ohio State we'll be chopping it up on the couch talking to you guys about the game. Please send us your questions, even starting now, as I'm really interested to find out what those guys think, uh, especially seeing as there's going to be no Jim Harbaugh on the sideline in Ann Arbor. I'm going to extend my invitation to Jim Harbaugh to join us on set as we are going to watch Ohio State Michigan. I understand if you want to be on the couch doing your own thing, because that's normally how I watch Oklahoma football games, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Now, getting off of the game where we're going to have two 11 and 0 teams going at it for big 10 East supremacy and probably supremacy in the big 10 all itself. Georgia ran roughshod over Rocky top 38 to 10 in Knoxville. They have finally shown themselves to be the kind of dominant football team that I think is deserving of a number one ranking. I hate that it takes them this long and they only get up for the teams. that got numbers next to their names, but when they do, it is lethal. They have they have tied the SEC record for consecutive wins in the SEC conference with 28 in a row. That was a record set by Bear Bryant's Alabama in the 70s. Guys, we're talking about them really being just one, two, three, four wins away from going back to back to back at Georgia. And you got as Kirby Smart is fond of saying, "I have an offensive coordinator, Mike Bobo, who's chipping." Got a chip on his shoulder. And I got a quarterback in Carson Beck who's chippy. I like that. As a defensive play caller and a defensive guy, I want my offense to have to prove it. Because Carson Beck, who was on some national championship teams, is also going, I didn't win those. I didn't win those. Stetson won those. I have to win my own. Mike Bobo taking over a job that people are like, I don't know, dog. Like, you really want Mike Bobo to come in for Todd Munkin? And Mike Bobo hurt us. And now they're trying to run it up outstanding performance for them against Tennessee. Tennessee's not good. I don't think they're the number 18 team in the country. I barely think they're a top 25 team, but that's more or less because I think they would beat Liberty. That ain't because I think that they're one of the class teams in the SEC, let alone the SEC East, just asking Missouri about that. But again, Georgia looks like Georgia. Carson Beck has taken over the spot that we were given to J.J. McCarthy as the Heisman placeholder. You know how we usually got like three, maybe four real candidates that, ought to win the Heisman Trophy, but we always got a fifth guy who happens to be the quarterback of an undefeated team that's ranked inside the top four. Yeah, it was J.J. McCarthy. Now it's Carson Beck. Congratulations. You have leveled up into the conversation because we frankly don't have anybody else that we could put there aside from Brock Bowers. And I don't think Heisman voters have the wherewithal to make a tight end the Heisman Trophy winner. I'm I'm here to be wrong, but I, I think they're cowards. I don't think they want to do that, even though... Brock Bowers is the only other dude other than Marvin Harrison Jr. that terrifies me on a football field. And I think every other defense does that too. As a matter of fact, Tim Banks said leading up to this thing, defensive coordinator at Tennessee, we're not going to be good in man. We, we, We can't match up man to man. And you know what? Devon Bell showed him he was right. Brock Bowers showed him he was right. Like Carson Beck was out there firing missiles. Those dudes are on a mission. And I'm really excited for the SEC championship game because I feel like both Alabama and Georgia are playing outstanding football. But now we're talking about Georgia football team that has beaten four ranked opponents this season in addition to going, you know, undefeated. They've beaten Kentucky, Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee. Okay. If you don't think that the SEC is that good, this doesn't mean much to you. But if you are the college football playoff selection committee and you're going to rank two lost Missouri as number nine, yeah, you think they're just that good. So There are levels to this, and I think right now we're talking about just three teams that I think will win the national championship, Ohio State, Michigan, winner, and then, of course, Georgia, who's won it the last couple of years in a row. Now, let's talk about being on a couch and sitting there by yourself where, hey, Jim Harbaugh, there's so many dads like myself who just, we, we with you, dog. We don't watch the games with anybody else. I'm out in the living room watching number 14, Oklahoma, play Brigham Young in Provo. Now, I got the multi-view like everybody else, and I usually got like four TVs up because the job description here is watch all the football so you are knowledgeable about all the football so what you're saying into this microphone carries some weight. But this game, I expected, all right, cool. Uh, Oklahoma's supposed to win by 20. I'll watch the first quarter. Nah, dog. Mm-mm. It was 17, 14 and a half. And then coming out of halftime, there was no Dylan Gabriel. Okay? He went 191 yards, two TDs in the first half, and then Jackson Arnold was warming up on the sideline. I'm like, Brent, now ain't the time to make sure that everybody played, dog. Like, I, I ain't played. I want to play, since we just throwing news out there that ain't played. And I'm not Jackson Arnold, but you give a point here. We'd much rather have Dylan Gabriel right now running this offense in a game that's tied up 17-up, right? Then we find out that it's not really that uh, Dylan Gabriel was being pulled. It's that he was injured. Brent Venables described it as an upper body injury and expects him to be, ba- be back pretty quick. But Brigham Young took advantage. Like they looked like they were absolutely driving down the field and were going to win this football game as a five and five BYU and really scuttle Oklahoma's chances of getting to the big 10, big 12 championship game. And then Billy Bowman went and did his Superman thing. That dude came out and had a pick six on the goal line, ran a hundred yards in the other direction. Looked like he was running out of gas with about 10 yards left to go. Somersaults into the end zone. And that really becomes the difference in the game. But this defense has also been outstanding. I mean, Danny Stuthman comes back from an illness, has 10 tackles, two for loss, and a forced fumble that leads to Gavin Sawchuck getting 16 yards into the house to put away this game 31-24 on the road. We're also talking about a third straight 100-yard rushing game for Gavin Sawchuck, who is outstanding when he holds on to the rock. Hold on to the rock, my guy. Hold on to the rock, and you are a great weapon. Jeff Levy's play calling didn't get in his way. Uh, as much as drake stoops made him right and both jackson arnold and dylan gabriel played great football basically taking care of the ball letting the defense go to work for them i'm excited for this oklahoma team because they are a texas christian win on friday away from winning 10 games after going six and seven just last year so 10 win seasons at oklahoma is the standard and i'm excited to see brent venables reach the standard as a head coach for the first time in his career, provided they take care of business on Friday, but also Oklahoma is still very much in the hunt to make the big 12 championship game. And with Texas, Iowa state coming up after we do the show here, we'll talk about that on Sunday in our uh, AP and RJ's top 25 ranking show. I could see Iowa state getting one over on Texas, which would allow Oklahoma to kind of slide right in there because Iowa state wins out. They're going to get in. But again, Iowa state wins out. Oklahoma could get in, you know what I'm saying? So I'm I'm here for this. Cyclones, do what you can in Jack Trice Stadium against them Texas Longhorns, all right? You know, we already got the one solid, got the win over Texas, even if we're going to give up the booty to Oklahoma State, who gave up the booty to Central Florida, and yet can't nobody call this Big 12 Conference. Man, I thought West Virginia was good until Oklahoma housed them, you know what I'm saying? It's been that thick through the middle. So BYU doing what they did against Oklahoma did not surprise me, especially as they seem to be feeling themselves at Provo. They were up for this game. They're like, yeah, we remember we blew up Sam. Uh, yes, <laughs> we blew up Sam Bradford's shoulder in 2009. We had Taysom Hill running over Manny Diaz's defense at Texas. That's who we are. And I'm going, hey, long as y'all who are y'all are, can y'all uh, can y'all fix the field? Can y'all make it so that nobody tears a knee up out there? Because that's flipping the slide and sliding, not make me feel good. Apparently y'all been letting that go on all year. And I get that the turf's gonna be, you know, made better next year. But if somebody would have got hurt out there, I would have been very, very upset and you would have heard about it. Okay. You are a power five school now. Act like it. Okay. Now let's talk about number 17, Arizona crushing number 22, Utah, 42, 18. What's wild about this is Bryson Barnes played great football and Arizona still did this. Like Utah is the fourth ranked opponent that Arizona has dispatched this year. They have dispatched Wazoo, who ain't no good, but, you know, it could get bowl eligible. Oregon State, who is good. UCLA, who is good. And Utah, who is good. Jetfish ought to be Pac-12 coach of the year. I understand he ain't going to win it because Dan Lanning is doing what he's doing. Kalen DeBoer is doing what he's doing. But I didn't think that anybody foresaw the turnaround that is going on in Tucson at all, right? Jetfish came down there with a lot of energy, you know, getting Gronk on, doing the recruiting, but it just wasn't a lot of results right behind what he was doing. And now you're getting to see that you're getting a guy like Noah Fafita is out there. Absolutely dealing. And we're looking at that game against USC as one that frankly, they probably should have won. And that USC was fortunate to win based on how they have been performing. I think many of us got this clue against Washington when Arizona played producer Tyler makes a great point. That game didn't look like one in which Arizona was playing bad or Washington was playing bad. Did not look like a fluke. Turns out that both of those football teams are very good. Washington undefeated, getting ready to play Oregon State, right as we're doing the show right now, and we will talk about that on our Sunday show as well. But I also think that Arizona has become the 2024 favorite to win the Big 12 championship because going into this year, if you'd have told me that Colorado was going to do what Arizona is doing, I would have believed you. I probably would not have taken it that far because I didn't want to put a win-loss record on it, but I could have seen it right? I don't think anybody saw what Arizona's doing. And I certainly don't think anybody saw Arizona beating Utah, because before this game, I would have told you that Utah is the favorite to win the Big 12 championship next year. Not so anymore. Everybody needs to watch the Wildcats going into next year. They're going to get stronger in recruiting. They're going to get stronger in the portal. And they have an identity that they have built around something I think is sustainable. I'm very excited to see what Wildcats football looks like next year, because they go from laughingstock to way too early conference championship favorite. And that is an awesome thing to see. All right, let's talk about the city championship in Los Angeles, UCLA beating USC 38 to 20. Going into this week, there was some conversation about Chip Kelly being out as head coach at UCLA, to which I say Chip Kelly should have arrived at his pressure going, I have stomped out Hector and Helen at the house of Troy. Fire what? Fire who? Yeah, fire up that contract extension. I just handed Lincoln Riley his third L in November. That's who I am. I am a win next week and a win in the bowl game away from going 10 wins heading into Big Ten competition. That's who I am. I pulled Ethan Garbers up off the shelf and we went and got W's. That's who I am. I made the best assistant coaching hire anybody has made all year in Danton Lynn. That's who I am. Y'all need to keep his name out your mouth because Chip Kelly actually putting it on like he from South Central and not from Westwood. You heard what I'm saying, Essie? Y'all supposed to be putting on for Cube. Y'all supposed to be putting on for Snoop. Y'all supposed to be putting on for Dre. But it's the Bruins back in Jackie Robinson. Kenny Logan that got it going on. You know what I'm saying? Like, all right, I'm going to back down for that just a little bit. But I, I did want to reference that because this game has had a lot to say about who gets to keep that job at UCLA. Now, 1980, Terry Donahue was looking at another loss to USC. And had basically been told, if you don't beat USC, we will find a new head coach because we can't keep losing to the private school over there. We, we can't do that. Mm-mm, no. So Terry goes and gets the W. And then... Turns out to be the winningest coach ever in UCLA history. Nobody has been able to reel off as many victories in a row since then. And a lot of guys have seen a loss in their walking papers come very quickly thereafter. Carl Durrell, 2007. Rick Newsheisel got stomped out 50-0. to zero. He was told to walk. Jim Morrow was told to walk on his birthday after losing this game. And going into this, Chip Kelly would have gone 33-33 and 33 with a loss, right? That's not great. That's not great. And rivalry games, he hadn't been particularly good. Right, And everybody will tell you, first rule of being a college football coach is win your rivalry game. That's the one that's probably going to keep you in the job. You know what I'm saying? You win that game, you're okay. Matter of fact, Ryan Day has lost six games and won more than 50. And yet and still, I can call up an Ohio stand right now and say, if he loses next week, I need to think about firing him. Wild. Not rational. But you know what? That's the same sort of irrationality behind people thinking that they should let Chip Kelly walk. No, Chip Kelly is a great football coach. He's been doing outstanding work there at UCLA, going in the portal, getting who he needs. He's not really going in to recruit, but that's never been his bag. That was Willow's bag. I understand. On the other hand, there's Lincoln Riley. Okay, all right. See how I said all the nice stuff uh, about Chip Kelly? It's not going to be so nice with Lincoln Riley because these are just facts that I'm going to give you, okay? At Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley... Went 17-1 and in the month of November. So much so that if you go search the tweets and you search the Googles, you will see Oklahoma coined the phrase championship November because Lincoln Riley's football teams did not lose in the month of November. So much so that after he took his first loss in a rivalry game in November, he bolted to L.A. Okay? That's how it was at Oklahoma. You looked at Lincoln Riley, you said, he's going to win games because the team is going to get stronger as it goes. They're going to hit a hiccup in October because that's what they normally do. And then they're going to finish strong in November. He is now four and three in the month of November at USC in just two years. He never lost more than two games in a single year at Oklahoma. He's lost three in a row. He's lost five of the last six. They are 7-5 and to end the year, and this is going to be the first month of November that Lincoln Riley has gone winless as a head coach. And he's been a head coach since 2017 with an absolutely phenomenal and sterling record. This is new territory for Lincoln Riley because people are like, hey, RJ, didn't he fire Alex Grinch? Uh Uh-huh. He fired Mike Stoops, too. That team was fine. Not only did he fire Mike Stoops, he went and put his mentor, Ruffin McNeil, in the booth and went and won a Big 12 championship. You know what I'm saying? Like, that that ain't it. I understand. A lot of people are going, well, when you fire the defensive coordinator, what do you expect? At Oklahoma, you could expect to win the the Big 12 championship and have the Heisman Trophy winner and the number one overall pick in Kyler Murray. You could expect to beat Texas. That's what you could expect at Oklahoma. At SC, you don't even get to beat UCLA. Think about that for a second. You're going to take a bad loss to Washington. Okay? Think about that. Utah is going to hand you your head at home. Mm. You're going to have to fend off woeful Colorado and Arizona in the same year. Lincoln Riley and seven and five went on the table pretty quick. And I remember we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago on the show and going, that's on that's there for them because the Pac-12 has been so good and so deep. Like there's only one, two really bad teams in that conference. But Stanford jumped up and bit somebody. Cal jumped up and almost bit SC. Right. Arizona State damn near beat Washington. That's it. Everybody else can play some football in that conference. This was not the year for you not bring your A game. And now that you got the Heisman Trophy winner, and you go 7 and 5 with the Heisman Trophy winner. I'm going to have to go look that up because I don't think that's ever happened, guys. I don't think anybody has had a Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback like the reigning Heisman Trophy winner and done 7 and 5. Now, if you're going to tell me that you expect to be good, that's great. We all expect to be good. I expect to be good. Uh, if you're going to tell me that you expect to grow tremendously, yo, dog, I'm five, foot five 130, and uh, I ain't expected to grow tremendously to six five, two sixty 260 in about 20 years. So I can, But I can't tell you that. I can tell you I expect to grow to that, but you, you going to believe me. And that's what I'm asking you. If you're an SC fan, what right now does Lincoln Riley get to tell you that you believe going into the Big Ten schedule that you're going to see, which, by the way, is daunting. Because SC also likes to schedule an FBS opponent for everybody they play. They're very proud of that record, right? This might be the year where you want to go get an FCS on so you can get six and six. I know that Notre Dame went and scheduled Tennessee State, and there's some feelings about that. So y'all get to keep this moniker. But how much do you want to win and how much do you want to be traditional is really going to come to y'all. Because right now, SC is feeling a lot like A&M. Do y'all want to be SC more than you want to win? That's the question that I have for you because Lincoln Riley going to get a coordinator that might not marry well with what he's doing offensively. Doesn't seem like something he's going to do, but that just might be what it is. Danton Lynn is going to get a lot of questions about what he wants to do next year, including coach at UCLA. I know USC fans are arrogant enough to think they can just go across the street, get that dude from Westwood, but I don't think that's how that's going to work guys. I don't think that everybody just leaves after losing to Oklahoma state to go see you. That's just not how that goes. However, where there's glitz and glam, you're going to see Lincoln Riley. You're going to see Caleb Williams. We might have seen Caleb Williams play his last bit of football in an SC uniform. We have not seen, I think, the last time we've seen Shedeur Sanders in a Colorado uniform, which is a great way to segue into Washington State beating, well, not beating, blowing out Colorado 56-14. to I stayed up late to watch this game because I'm that type. I'm absolutely that tight. Yes, I'm watching as much football as is humanly possible to watch. But I also got to see Wazoo had lost six straight before beating Buffalo back to the Plains. The Buffaloes didn't need to be in the Palouse no more. They wanted to get home. You saw Prime was not happy on the sidelines. He looked snotty and sad because he was, well, I don't know that he was sad, but he looked snotty because he had a cold, right? had flu-like symptoms. Didn't even let the players talk to media after that game. He was really just trying to get up out of there. Shadour started the game, had to leave the game. First it was, he hurt his hand in such a way that he could not grip the ball and toss it, but he was still going to go out there. And then rolled up on his ankle. And by that time, Pop said, enough, enough, sit down. I'm putting Ryan Staub in there because we're talking about an offensive line that has gone from laughable to dangerous, Okay. Wazoo came into the game with just 10, 17 sacks in 10 games uh, before Colorado, 17. In the first 10 offensive snaps for Colorado, they had four sacks, and none of them were anything less than violent. They were getting home, and they were getting home in a hurry. Shador Sanders, who has broken, by the way, the school record for passing yards in a season by 30, couldn't even get out of the first quarter. But it was still kind of close, right? It's was 14-7 at one point, and Travis Hunter was doing the damn thing. And then the Cougs, they went Roy D. Mercer and poured out the whole 55-gallon drum of whoop-ass in the second quarter, putting up 28, and it was 42-7 to at halftime. And it was senior night, so Jake Dickert was not inclined to let up. I wouldn't have let up. I would have wanted my seniors to go out, you know what I'm saying? Because they went into this game 4-6-2. and six too, And he was already emotional about what it took for those guys to just keep trusting him and not go other places where they might do some more winning and really just want to be a part of that culture. And I, I would want to let them eat. I would, it's senior night. I don't care who you're playing. We're going to let you go all out. If You got a pass to pass the 600. That's what's just going to happen. This was also the first game that Colorado played in that wasn't sold out. That's also wild because even a four and 16 was selling out games, right? Then they get to the Palouse, and that's the first way they don't sell out all year. They dropped to four and seven. They are one and seven in Pac-12 play. It's gotten progressively worse, and it hadn't looked like it's going to get better in a hurry at Colorado. But I also think that there's some talking that needs to go on amongst the Colorado players because, well, you're tweeting. You're tweeting when you should be talking. Cavazier Smoke sent this tweet. Simple fact, bro. We could have went undefeated this year. Too much selfish ball going on, man. Like, can't win like that. Got to play and win as a team. But if you go the other route, you get results like this. You might see how an onlooker might look at that tweet and go undefeated. Um, nah, dog. Like Don't go up 29-0 to Stanford and then blow the game. That's one. Uh but even even that, right? Let say that's correctable, right? Say, say you could have won that game. I don't see you beating Oregon cuz I don't see nobody beating Oregon cuz Oregon's taking it all personally. Ask Arizona State. Like Kenny Dillingham is Dan Lanning's best friend and Dan Lanning absolutely put a pot knot on his head, all right? Like I just don't see that. But outside of that, we're also talking about a Gavassier smoke that didn't do much on a football field this year and you can talk a lot when you're not playing because you're not winded and you ain't got to back much up. And it, one of the things that I've learned, right? You probably should be quiet if your jersey is still clean, okay? If your jersey ain't got no dirt, no blood on it, you ain't got no sweat coming out of your ears, maybe be quiet. Maybe don't send tweets, right? But they're going to have to work that out amongst themselves. Even so, Shador Sanders has played well. Shiloh Sanders had a fourth fumble recovery, which, by the way, tops in the pac 12 Great safety play for him. But they went in this game without Trevor Woods, who's been an outstanding safety for them. Omarion Cooper as well. And Travis Hunter still played 100 snaps. Four catches, 82 yards, two TDs. That dude is just him. But this also goes to show you can't win a whole bunch of football games if your offensive line is very bad. 54 sacks in 11 games this offensive line has allowed. Many of us were asking, can Shador Sanders hold up this whole year? The answer is no. Travis Hunter could, but again, he's running sprints out there. He's running gasters because that dude just can't get him the ball as often as he would like to. I'd also add in here, we are like we're in new territory for Lincoln Riley. So we're gonna get to find out what his wherewithal was like. We're in new territory for Coach Prime because it looked like Coach Prime through the first half of the year. Now it looks like Coach Deion Sanders. The reason I say that is Prime came to Colorado having lost six games as a head coach, six right? 27 wins, two appearances in the Black College Football National Championship game, two SWAC championships, an undefeated regular season. Absolutely one of the great coaches that we have in the sport. Then he gets to Colorado, has some very early success, which I'm telling you all about. And we're still talking about this because, well, he is the most interesting story in the sport for me. But now I get to see a part of Coach Prime that I've always wanted to see. And I'm certain that he has seen it himself but we've never seen it in public what is it like for him to have this level of failure and this level of loss what does his attitude do what does his attitude for his team do how do they respond like he'll be the first person to tell you all of this right he's also not afraid to answer your questions but this is one where i'm used to coach prime being Deion Sanders, being Neon Deion, being prime time Deion Sanders as a Dallas Cowboy. I'm used to him being the Thorpe Award winner, Florida State, you know, one of the greatest NFL players of all time, the only man to play in a Super Bowl and a World Series. That's who he is. But who he is, is not who Colorado is. That is what's most interesting to me. Now, you are associated with what Colorado does because you're the head coach. So when they set records, and you make lots of money, that's all you too. But right now, I always am so envious of getting an up-close view of what this process is like because I have 22 tattoos. Most of them make references to Shakespearean quotes, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Latin. I love hero stories. And I don't like hero stories because they're triumphant because many of them don't, They're, they're not, they're not that great. I like hero stories because I get to see what it is like for somebody to pick themselves up off the ground. That's my story, right? My story is getting it up out the mud. My story is not having a place to stay, sleep out of my truck, going to every county in the state of Oklahoma to be a stringer for the Oklahoman so I could write high school football. Starting this channel up in my bedroom that also doubled as my bathroom and really having to work this when I didn't know it was gonna be good, but to stay the course because I got nothing else. This is who I am. I'm either going to do this or I'm just going to fail. And I think, I think we're going to get to see something really cool at Colorado. If you're paying attention, if you're watching how he is now, if you're watching how those players are now, and you've heard all of what I just said in this segment, you will also see an opportunity, an opportunity to create a very cool, worthwhile awesome, inspiring story, which is exactly what Prime purports to do, okay? Now, you can do that, but will you do that? We'll see. I got Aristeia tattooed on my right forearm. The reason I have that tattooed on my right forearm is because Athena will give you your Aristeia to vanquish your enemy, but she doesn't have to give it to you. You only have to be willing to die. You only have to be willing to sacrifice. You only have to be willing to give everything you have knowing that you might not get anything in return. And then maybe she'll give you this gift. We get to see whether or not Colorado is willing to make that kind of sacrifice to go be great because coach prime went to the national championship game last year, this year, and said, we need to get here. You are a far cry from there, but one hell of a story if you can make that journey. All right. That is going to do it for tonight's episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our number one college football show leads of screening Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall that to make us better in the film room. Production assistants Kiara Santana and Kyler Morris put the special in our special team. Social producer JB On Duncan makes sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. Niles Owens on the live stream switches for us tonight. Chaz Boulet is sending in the signals. Senior producer Catherine Cordagy sees the entire field from the booth. Tip of the cap to her because she got Dolly Parton to come to Knoxville. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls the players from the sideline and the play snaps on my clap. We will see y'all on Sunday talking about the AP rankings and my top 25 at FoxSports.com. Until then, stay low, keep those feet driving. Deuces.